In this series, in this series called Becoming Us, we're walking through Paul's letters to the Corinthian church. And we said Corinth was a lot like us. They were a lot like everything that we're going through. And last week we looked at the spiritual gifts in chapter 12. And we said a couple things about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are evidences of Emmanuel. They're evidences of God with us. So he gives us spiritual gifts and and they're evidences of God being with us. We said that God owns these gifts, not us, and he uses them for his glory through us. So he uses them for his glory. They're his gifts, they're not ours, and he uses them for his glory. Gifts aren't just for pastors or spiritual leaders. They're for every single one of us. The Bible talks about how how he gave all the gifts. And so, and also it says the gifts we talked about, the gifts are for today. In 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to read this in a little bit, but it says, it talks about how gifts will pass away when perfect comes. But as we know in the past, the events of the past week, life is not perfect yet, right? There's still some stuff going on. And so there's still, the gifts are still for us today. And as we look through the nine gifts outlines in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 through 11, this is the gifts that were listed. The message of wisdom, the message of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, various kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. And we put a pin in the, those last two because we're going to cover them in detail next week in chapter 14. And Paul wraps up 1 Corinthians 12 in this way. He says, in verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, all of the members of one body, though many, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Every part of our body is important. If any part's lacking or hurting, we notice that, right? How many of you guys have ever gotten a splinter, right? You get a splinter and it's like your whole body hurts. Like I can feel my heartbeat in my finger, right? Have you ever had that happen to you? Like I can feel it in my finger. And, and that's, that's just part of what, what it is. And so what Paul is using is he's using this analogy of the body. And so we're a part of this body. And, and he, he goes into detail and he's like, you know, you need the sense of smell. You need the, the, the fingers. You need the toes. You need all of those things. And he, he talks about that. And in the same way, like we need each other we need each other to operate we need gifts to operate in the church we can't just say well um you know mike's important but i'm really not we can't really say that like we're all important to the mission of what god is calling the church to do you need to realize that you are an important part of god's mission you are an important part of of God's mission. And just like our body, we, we want to take our, do the best we can to take care of it and be as healthy as we can. And in the same way, we need to take care of each other. We've got to take care of each other, not to try to dominate one or the other or say that one's more important than the other. We've got to take care of each other. And this is what 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 says this through 31. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues are all apostles. Is everybody an apostle? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he says this, and I will show you a still 
show you a still more excellent way. Have you ever just missed the point of something? You ever just like, like I, I just, I, I don't understand what we're talking about right now. Have you ever just had that happen to you? Uh, like, even when it's like right in front of you the whole time, maybe you've done it this way. Um, have you ever, men, because I know only men do this, um, have you ever gone into like the, the kitchen looking for milk right in the refrigerator and you open the refrigerator door and you're just standing there staring at everything that's happening in your refrigerator and you're just standing there staring for several seconds and you like maybe even yell at your wife, hey honey, where's the milk? She's like, it's in the refrigerator. And then you look down after, you know, 30 seconds, minute and a half, five minutes of staring into the refrigerator, and the milk is sitting right in front of you this whole time. Has this ever happened to you? All the men are shaking their head. All the women are like, no, this never happens to me, right? Like, I, and so like this, we just miss what's right in front of us the whole time time and and we Paul's challenge to the Corinthian church he was saying kind of the same thing he's like guys you want all this stuff you want all these gifts you want all these things that are happening you want all this in in your church you want to have knowledge you want to have wisdom you want to dominate over each other you want all these things but the most important thing is right in front of you and you've been missing it this whole time you've been missing it this whole time. You're looking for gifts and authority and wisdom and power, but I want to show you a more excellent way. So what's the more excellent way that the Bible is talking about here? The next verse, chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Church, if you have all the powers and all the gifts, but you're missing love, you're missing the whole point. If you give away everything that you have, even to the point of giving up your own life as a martyr, Paul says, but if you don't have love, you gain nothing. These are powerful words to this church and something that we should consider today. In a culture that underlines what we have, gifts, talents, abilities, bank accounts, possessions, income, relationships. You fill in the blank as to what our, our culture values. Love was and still is what will continue to be the most excellent way. You could have it all. Fill in the blank of what you think you need to make it. You could have it all, materialistically, spiritually, whatever, emotionally, but if you don't have love, the message here is that you have nothing. Biblically, is it more important, I would say, just asking the question, is it more important for us to receive love or give love? <laughs> Think about it. Is it more important for us to receive love or to give love? Today, when we say we're in love, we're really talking about someone being loving to us, right? Someone loves me because I could love someone else, have a crush on them, but I'm not necessarily in love. So in love means that someone loves me, right? And so, but, but biblically, is it more important? What's more important, to receive love or to give love? God, if we look at what the Bible says, God took the first step. First John 
Chapter 4, verse 19 says this, We love because he first loved us. John 15, verse 12 through 13 says this, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone to lay down his life for his friends. So we understand that we can love other people now because of the love that God has given us. You need to know that you are loved. You need to know that God loves you, that he cares for you, that he died for you, that he didn't just die for the world, for everyone else. No, he died for you. He loves you. He cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about the struggles that you have. He cares about the life and and everything that's happening to you. He loves you deeply. And because he loves you, you now can love other people. It's not really about receiving love from other people. You don't need that. You don't need that to love. Biblically, the Bible says we don't really need that to love. What we need to do is we need to receive God's love. And once we receive God's love, now we can give it to other people. And so many of us, I think we struggle with that. We struggle with receiving the love that God has for us. We struggle with it because we know, like I know, like everyone else might know, but I know where I struggle. I know where my shortcomings are. I know where my issues are. I know where guilt and shame or lie in my heart. I know all the things that, that, that God's got to pull out and he's got to deal with it every single day. I know those things about myself. But the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. So God loves you just the way you are. He's not going to leave you that way, but he loves you just the way that you are. And so we have to receive God's love. We have to receive it, and we have to say, God, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't deserve it, but I receive your love, and now that I receive your love, now I can love other people. You're going to have a very difficult time, if not an impossible time, loving others if you don't receive God's love First, God's love allows me to love others. But the greatest love that Jesus talks about in John 15 on the screen is a love that is given. So if you and I want to excel in love, you want to make an A+. It's not about just receiving God's love and us just like being like this reservoir of just taking and taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. We can't do that. Eventually, we have to give. We have to lay down our lives for our friends. The Dead Sea, I don't know if you guys know about this, the Dead Sea in, in Israel is dead. It's full of salt water, right? As, and they call it the Dead Sea because nothing really can live there except like some algae and things like that. No fish or anything. It's just dead. Do you know why it's dead? Because everything flows into it, but nothing flows out of it. And for so many of us, we live our lives that way, that we want to receive love. We want to take love. We want to take God's love. We want to take the love from other people, but we're not letting love flow out of us. And because of that, we're not spiritually where we need to be. Last week, I talked to you guys about how there comes a point in your spiritual development where you really have to start discipling and training and developing and pouring into other people instead of just receiving for you to take further steps in your spiritual development. And so this is the idea of excelling in love. I received the love from God and now I give it to other people. 
How many of you guys with kids? How many of you guys got more than one kid? More than one kid, all right? You, do, you, do you guys remember? I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Do you guys remember having, I remember before we had our second kid, um, we adopted our first and I had my second. And I remember looking at my second thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be able to love this kid like I love my first. You guys ever felt that way with multiple kids? Like, how? Okay, I'm really concerned because I do love the first one. That's awesome. But I, I wonder, and you have this idea that love gets divided somehow. Like it's a pizza, and I gave one to this kid, and so now this kid has less of the pizza to get, right? Like that's the idea of love. And, but that's not how love works. Love multiplies. So as we give it away, love gets multiplied in our hearts. Love gets multiplied in our hearts. God, uh, love, God's love allows me to love others, so, and the greatest love is a love that's given. This idea, um, that this idea would have thrown the spiritually prideful Corinthian church, the church that's receiving this letter from Paul, this idea of like love is the better way. It's not about the gifts. It's not about you even dying as a martyr. Love is the better way. This idea would have thrown their spiritual pride on its head. And it would also have thrown the consumerism that lives in our culture on its head. Anything that goes contrary to God is going to have a hard time receiving this message that love is the most excellent way. And so he continues in verse uh, 4. He says this, Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. I want you to think through if you've been here the past several weeks on the issues that we've talked about that Paul's been addressing here. This is almost like if you read the book of Corinthians, not as this chapter, this chapter, this topic, this verse, all this stuff, but if you read it as one full letter, one full storyline, one full arc, read what he's saying here in verse 4. Church that's been broken, church that's been divided, church that, that wants to be prideful over one another, church that wants to use gifts to show how, how spiritual they are. Listen, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In church, sometimes we talk about spiritual gifts, prophecy, faith, miracles, but Paul says that the greatest spiritual gift that you can have is love. The greatest spiritual gift that you can have. Again, we love because God first loved us. So love is a gift that we receive. And so Paul's telling these people, I've I've laid out all these gifts. I've laid out all these things that you can do for God. I've laid out all these ways that you can be used for God. But I want to tell you this more excellent way that you need to be able to receive God's love and then give that love to other people. Love is the greatest spiritual gift gift. For most of us, though, we don't see it as a spiritual gift. We've been conditioned when we hear love in our culture to think about like the, the teenage movies, um, the, the pop songs, things like that, the, you know, where you know, skipping through a field of daisies, those type things. But, it, and, and, but really, all that does is it boils love down to like lust and hormones. We use the term like we fell in love. We fell in love, whatever that means. We fell in love. But love has to be more than that. Love, in the biblical sense, is about looking at other people 
finding their deepest need and taking responsibility on yourself to fill it. Looking at someone else, finding their deepest need and taking responsibility on yourself to fill it. What did Jesus do for us? Jesus saw that we were without hope, that we were without a Savior, that we were without life, that we were, we were dead because of sin. And he looked at us and he saw that our deepest need was for him. And he took responsibility on himself to fill that need. And so once we receive God's love and then we want to love other people because of it, then we're just going to love like Jesus loves. It's really not complicated. We just see a need and we fill it. We see a need and We fill it. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. He's talking about gifts here. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfect comes, the part, the partial, will pass away when perfect comes. As we said last week, when perfect is yet to come, So we still see the gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 operating in the church. However, they will eventually pass. But he says this, that love never ends. Love will not pass away. Then he says this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When I grew up, I put my childish ways behind me. For now we see in a mirror dimly. It's like fogged up. I don't really see what's happening. But then face to face, when I get face to face with but when I'm face to face with God, everything's going to make sense. For I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. This child analogy here that he uses, it can be a little confusing to you and I because we, we've heard that Jesus says that we have to come to Jesus like a child, right? You remember hearing that? Jesus says, come to him like a child. This comes in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3 and 4. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, he had a child in his lap at the time, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is talking about here is the faith to take his word at face value. The faith that to take his word at face value. To believe he is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. That's the childlike faith that he's talking about. It's the faith to just believe what you're told. Jesus, if you say that you're going to heal me, I'm going to believe it. Jesus, if you say you're going to set me free, I'm going to believe it. Jesus, if you say you can deal with my sin, I'm going to believe it. Jesus, if you say that God loves me, I'm going to believe it. That's the childlike faith that he says that we have to have to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not this adult cynicism that many of us carry. Well, I mean, I know you said that, but can you prove it to me? That's what many of us act like. When it comes to the things of God, God, I know that you said that you were going to provide for me, but I I really want you to prove it in this way. God, I I know that you said that you were going to do this, but I'm I'm going to need to see some more evidence here to help me out. Listen, this is a statement that I've, I've just learned to embrace. It's far less exhausting to fight your cynicism than it is to live in it. 
It's far less exhausting to fight cynicism than it is to live in it. It's far less exhausting to say, you know what? I'm just going to take what God says at face value. I'm going to take what people say at face value. I'm going to take what, what, what I hear in church at face value. I'm going to take what I read in the Bible at face value than it is to think, oh man, there's, that's, that might not be what he meant there. He's going he's gonna to take care of me. He's going to love me. He's going to be there for me. That, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've heard other people say that to me. No, fight that cynicism. So we have to humble ourselves like a child. But what 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about when Paul says that he's putting away childish ways, this is the desire for you and I to be the center of attention. This is the desire for you and I to be the center of attention. It doesn't matter what grown-ups are in the middle of. How many of you guys know that if a toddler walks into a room, it demands to be the center of attention? Right? You guys been around toddlers at all? Like, it does not matter. It does not matter what's happening. I mean, literally, you could have, like, this really deep, like, conversation with you and your spouse, and, like, like we're having to, like, really dig through, like, some finances, or maybe, like, there's, like there was a death or something like that. But the toddler walks in the room, and the toddler does not care. The toddler's like, whatever, give it to me. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. That's how the toddler Thinks. I have a, this video. I want you guys to take a look at this because this like just shows this. I try not to pick on my kids too much here because my kids need to be kids. And if y'all are going to pick on anybody, just pick on me. Um, but but this this video of my 11 year old when she was three, she was performing for our family, right? And you see her desire to be the center of attention. She's making up this song. The song is completely gibberish. The melody is completely gibberish, right? But then afterwards, she stops. And she wants you to, to, she wanted, not you, but she wanted us as her family to applaud her and appreciate for all the things that she had just performed, right? And for some reason, we weren't really paying attention at the time. And so in, in like two seconds, in like this two-second span, you see uh, performance, desire for applause, anger at not getting it, and then basking in it when she does, like in like a two-second span, like very, very quickly. And so I want you guys to see this video of Maisie. This is like eight years ago when she was three. Go ahead. My mom told you that You notice that? And like a little, little three, it's like, it's like, ta-da, ta-da. You know, and then, okay, I get, I get everything that I want. We have to put away childish ways of saying, God, I need to be the center of attention right now. God, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I know that um, uh, maybe you're not with me this, uh, during this time. Maybe you're, maybe I feel like you're far off. Maybe I feel like you're distant. Maybe you're what? No, God, I, I just trust you. I just trust you. And I don't have to be the center of attention. I don't have to be in the middle of everything. I, can, I don't have to be the one always receiving love. I can give it. For so many Christians, that, that video is a day-in-the-life snapshot of our anxiety, our desire for attention, our desire for notoriety, and the generally desire for things to go our way. But what Paul is teaching us here is that we need to take those childish ways and put them behind us. Listen, it doesn't take much 
to love. All you have to do is just put yourself in the shoes of the other person and think, what's the simplest way that I can be the most help to them? What about the neighbor that you work with? You know what you could do right now? You could literally talk to your neighbor and say, hey, do you have enough toilet paper at home? And if they say no, just give them some of yours. That's an incredibly loving thing to do, but I guarantee if you go to the store right now, you're going to have a hard time finding it, right? Just, just simply put yourself in someone else's shoes and say, what can I do for them? What, what could be the most helpful, the most beneficial for them? And just do it. It's really not that hard. But love also takes everything because we've got our own problems. We've got our own needs. We've got our own anxieties. We've got our own issues. We've got our own desire to be liked and applauded. We have our own things that we're dealing with. And because of that, it's required that, that love is just a spiritual gift that we receive. You're not going to be able to muster up love It just doesn't happen that way. You have to receive it from God so that you can love others well. I need the Holy Spirit's help to love well. I need the Holy Spirit's help to love well. If you read 1 Corinthians 13 in context, Paul's giving instructions on spiritual gifts in chapters 12 and 14. But in the middle, he sandwiches this instruction to love right in the middle of it. In essence, what he's saying is, while we're talking about spiritual gifts, you can't forget love because love is the greatest gift. For Jesus, love was not a way to have his own needs met. It was an invitation to die, to to see the needs that you and I had the most and to lay down his life for you and me. He didn't just tell us that he loved us. He showed us that he loved us. We needed our sins dealt with, and Jesus laid down his life for that to happen. The Bible frames humanity, you and I, as being hopelessly lost in our sin, meaning that some are so lost that they didn't even know that they needed saving. And if you do, then it's, 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 it's possible, if you need saving, it's impossible for you to find your own way. And that's why God says this in the most famous verse in our Bible, in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Love is a gift. It's a spiritual gift. And you have to receive it.